Welcome to the Bright Minds of E-Commerce podcast. I'm Dana, founder of Bright Red Marketing, your e-commerce advertising specialists. Today we're here with Jasmine from Wicker Darling. Less than four years after inception, Wicker Darling offers local and international customers new and original designs in limited exclusive numbers, showcasing the craftsmanship of select Filipino ateliers whilst appealing to the inherent playful fashion sensibilities of her customer base. In today's episode, she shares the power of the pre-order, her take on running a sustainable business, and the importance of personal attention to your customer base. So let's get into it. Welcome to episode 23. Hi, and welcome to the Bright Minds of E-Commerce podcast. Today, we're here with Jasmine from Wicker Darling. Hi, Jasmine. Hi. So lovely and excited to have you on the show. So give us a little bit of background. How did Wicker Darling start? It's pretty straightforward and simple. I am an avid collector of novelty handbags. I particularly like wicker handbags and I am someone that is just obsessed with pink. I have pink hair. I wear a lot of pink and I just really wanted a pink wicker flamingo, but I couldn't find one anywhere. And at some point I just thought it cannot be that hard for me to design and go into business doing this myself. And I just thought I probably wouldn't be alone in wanting this. So I just sort of went from there, really. Fantastic. And how has it sort of developed and grown over the years? Obviously, you sell more than just pink flamingos now. Funnily enough, we're onto our fourth pink flamingo. So I wasn't wrong about people wanting those. They've continued to be really popular. Yeah, I think it was just, I I can remember the first couple of months when I started this, I put up pre-orders for the Pink Flamingos and I kept saying to friends and family, you know, we'll see how these ones go and if it goes well, I'll work on another design and we'll release that. And I feel like we did that for probably a year and a half. Mm. And then at some point, it's funny because it was actually last year during the lockdown that it really took off, which weird because I thought that's when we tank to be honest yeah, but, um, people aren't leaving the house they don't really need spectacular handbags that's exactly it and you know everybody was leaving their jobs and there was a lot of uncertainty but no we really picked up last year it was it was amazing really yeah fantastic so how many designs have you got now other than your four flamingos i think we're up to collection 35 so that's 35 unique designs that's fantastic. Uh, for those of you who don't know Wicker Darling, I highly recommend you go and have a look at her Instagram, her website. I think the whale is my favourite. That is really interesting because there's been a couple of designs where I've seen the samples and I've just looked at them and gone, I'm not terribly into this particular bag and I will shelve it. I'll put it off. I'll be like, no, I'm going to release this. It's more interesting. And then down the track when we're running out of you know, it takes a while for new samples to be produced. I'll look at one of these ones that I'm not terribly keen on and I'll say, all right, it's time for you to come out, buddy. And the whale was one of those ones I'd had it for a while and then I was like, all right, it's your time, mate. And he came out and he was probably our third biggest seller. That's amazing. So, <laughs> so um, I can't always predict it. <laughs> no, I think that's that's true with any part of business, which I think is why I love that your business is based off pre-orders. How did you sort of come to that decision and how has that worked out for you? It was initially purely that's how I was funding what I was doing in the beginning. I guess it was like instead of going down the road of a Kickstarter or a GoFundMe or something, I just said, I'm going to offer these for pre-order. There was a minimum number of bags that I sort of hoped people would order. We met that just. 
And it worked for me because it meant, you know, you've paid for your bag and I used that to go into production. So it's all funded. It was lower risk for me mm. personally um, because I don't, I have not taken out any bank loans or anything like that to do this. It's just, it's been my own cash and it's been the money that comes in from the pre-orders. And the reason we have continued to do that three years later is Again, it's a lower risk thing for me, but it means everybody who wants a bag has an opportunity to get one. It works hand in hand with offering payment plans because while you're waiting for production on your bag to come along, you can take that time to pay for your bag. And a lot of our customers are from overseas. So we find that pre-orders mean everybody has an opportunity to order and it You see this in a lot of other communities where it's like the brooches, people who buy and sell brooches. Um, You get American customers who end up having to set an alarm for a release at 3am because that's 8pm in Australia. And by the time they get onto their computer, they might miss out. They've just set an alarm for 3am and they've missed out on a brooch and it's disappointing. You don't have to miss out with the pre-order system. So our customers really like it. And it's a more, um, it's a sustainable thing as well because we don't overorder any bags, basically. We know exactly how many bags we need. Yeah, and I suppose it does really kind of give into that like limited edition feel as well because they're not just constantly available. That. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All of our bags are sort of limited edition, small run. That. Do you ever get any pushback from being pre-order? All the time, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When people first land on the website, they're presented with all of these bags that they want and every single one of them says sold out. Um, And that can be really frustrating for people that don't understand how it works. And we do have all of the information about how we're pre-orders and all of that. It is all on the website, but I think people don't take the time necessarily to read it or they don't really understand how it works. It's not intuitive for them. And a lot of people just, they don't want to wait. They don't want that waiting time. Our turnaround time for production used to be three months for production and then it was a month for the shipping of the bags because when I say they're shipped to me, I mean they're literally on a cargo ship Yep. just because it's more cost-effective you know, because they're very big and large. Since COVID, that turnaround time just for production alone has blown out to about seven months and the shipping time is now... <laughs> it can be two months. The bags arrive in about, instead of four weeks, it's now about six to eight weeks. And then they've got to clear customs and ports around the world are just completely congested. So we have had a lot of pushback from people who are just, you know, I don't want to wait that long for a bag. Can't you just have them in stock? And we poll our customers a lot and overwhelmingly people are still in favour of that pre-order system because they know they don't miss out but yeah it's a lot of newcomers to the website to the business that tend to push back against it and I think once we explain it to them and they realize that the bags are quite popular and there's a chance they might miss out if we just had them in stock they realize that maybe this is a better option it's a compromise (laughs) yeah definitely I mean we had a a guest on the show a couple of weeks back now and she is a a ceramicist so she hand makes all of her pieces and she has to do those you know eight o'clock at night launches because she's yeah. physically making them and I think yeah. there's, there's pros and cons to both like she sells out really quickly but she physically yeah. can't do what you do so I think it's just a, a really interesting business model 
Yeah, yeah. And that's exactly where we've sort of been trying to teach people or say to people, look, it's one or the other. <laughs> you know, you sort of, we could have them in stock, but there's still no guarantee that you're going to get your bag. So yeah, they'd still probably sell out because we're not going to buy 7 million of them. We're going to buy as yeah, many as we sell. For me as a small business, I'm always going to err on the side of caution. I don't always know how many bags I'm going to sell. So if I was having to take a guest to have them in stock, I would definitely be under-ordering probably. So they definitely sell out. They would still be sold out on the website. That's yeah. fair. Uh, That's so exactly, yeah, by the way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, you mentioned before that part of the pre-order was around that sustainability. I know that the, the ethics and sustainability side of your business are really important. Can you kind of go into mm-hmm. a little bit of why that's an important business decision for you? <laughs> I just think that it's something we should all be thinking about these days. And I certainly don't claim to be an expert and we're not perfect, Again, it's having to sort of, there's a lot of compromises involved in what we do with that. We get a lot of people sort of saying, well, if you're into ethics and sustainability, why aren't the bags all 100% vegan? And we have sort of looked into vegan leathers and things like that, but it comes down to, are we sort of save the animals or do we save the environment? Because a lot of vegan leathers are just plastic. Yeah. And bizarrely. um, really. Yeah, that's exactly it. To me, I'm sort of concerned about, probably more the environment and again we just do the best that we can do it's not a perfect sort of system but when I talk to the ateliers I know that both of them are audited and accredited for their doing their best sort of sustainability practices so they'll tell me we looked into doing do you know what Pinatex is sounds familiar but I don't know and I'm sure people listening don't know (laughs) (laughs) It's pineapple leather. It's a kind of leather made from pineapple. Yeah, okay. Um, That rings a bell. Yeah, so I was looking into that. I was like, you know, I've heard that this is made in the Philippines. Is that an option we can use instead of leather or plastic leathers? And they said to me they would love to do it. But the bizarre thing with the Pinatex is, yes, it's made in the Philippines, but it's actually, I guess, patented or owned by a company in Europe. So the Pinatex is made in the Philippines and immediately shipped to Europe for use by the the designers, the owners over there. So if we wanted to use the Pinatex, we'd actually have to order it from Europe and have it shipped back to the Philippines. Oh, God. Yeah, Um, okay. (laughs) Which is bizarre, time-consuming, extremely expensive. Talk about shipping miles. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. So it doesn't end up being an environmentally friendly option So we have done our research and looked at all of this and it's just about making the choices that we feel the most comfortable with. Yeah, definitely. Obviously, choosing to work with more sustainable partners and going down that route, uh, are there any like financial implications that you found for that and even like pros and cons? It's obviously a lot more expensive. So, you know, I probably could find manufacturers a lot more cheaply in China And I'm not saying all Chinese companies lack ethics, but I think you do find that it's a little bit harder to sort of find more ethical ones in China. And that's also, again, they're having to import the rattan and all of that. They're probably bringing it from overseas to work with, whereas it's grown in the Philippines. So again, that's an environmental sort of thing. And this is also the method of weaving is a traditional practice in the Philippines so in doing this it's again it's an ethical sort of thing it's encouraging them to keep up traditional handicrafts 
But all of that is more expensive because, again, they've been accredited or they're audited to make sure that it's not just about the environmental sustainability and all of that. They're actually paying a living wage instead of minimum wage to their workers. So that's more expensive Yeah, when you're doing things like that. Yeah, wonderful. So tell us a little bit about the creative process of coming up with a new piece. <laughs> that's um, a lot of the time it's just, what do I want now? <laughs> I think that's brilliant <laughs> though because you know at least someone <laughs> wants to buy it. Yeah, absolutely. It's the best part of it is I would like this bag and I need a bag in this colour, so I'm going to do that now. It usually starts with me, yeah, once I've figured out an animal that I would like to work with. I'll sit down and I just sketch it out or it usually involves me doing a bit of research and looking at photos and even drawings and statues and things like that. Like a lot of the time you're sort of like, okay, well, I'd like to do a flamingo bag. But the reality is a flamingo has these two very long legs and how are we going to work with that sort of concept? So um, in the end it was just like, well, I guess we just don't have legs on the flamingo bag. It's not going to work. There's no way to do it. So it's sort of looking at things like that. I'm just looking at my bags now. and Meanwhile, um, whale, already bag-shaped. <laughs> that's exactly it. That's exactly it. Sometimes I'm just walking down the street and, like, I just remember seeing a pelican and I was like, you are a bag just <laughs> waiting to happen. It's just the way they sit. The legs disappear yep. and they're so bulky and then it's got this big beak. I'm like, you come with the built-in coin purse? You've got this massive back compartment and it's just, yes, I am going to bag you. So, you know, there's a lot of animals like that. And then we sometimes it's customer requests and we get things like, can you do a porcupine? And I'm just logistically, no. <laughs> like, that would just be a nightmare. You know, you're going to have these big things on the back of it that are. You do have a dinosaur that I think had some like spines going on. Did I see a dinosaur with some spines? There's a triceratops you might be thinking of. Yes. Yeah, like a bit of a neck so again that was just I think I was looking at one of my son's toys and I just picked it up and I was like I think this would make a good bag I love the sound of your job that's fantastic just walking around (laughs) that looks like a good bag (laughs) and yeah sometimes it's just someone will send me a suggestion I was like oh yeah I could work with that um when I released the flamingo my sister said to me she thought she was being very funny she said you should do a bin chicken yes Yes, yes, I, I should. should. You know, <laughs> people would love that. And, yeah, they did love the bin chicken because I went with it. I did it. And people loved it. So, And, again, yeah, you're pre-order. Good. So if people don't like it as much, you didn't buy 500 of them and sell 50. That's exactly it. Yeah, we knew exactly how many. And we've done three runs of those. So we've now – I retire the bags after a certain number of releases because it becomes boring for people to see the same bags coming mm. back over and over. But we did do quite a few releases of the Ibis that was really popular. <laughs> so that was great. That's fantastic. You said that the business started because you decided you wanted a flamingo bag. How did you find those first customers? Uh, yeah. So I actually ran a small hobby business years before this happened. And I had an Instagram account with, I don't know, probably 5,000 followers on Instagram just for this old business of mine many years ago. And it was 
a mix of those were customers of mine, but also the community I find myself in is sort of the pin-up vintage community. So it wasn't just customers of mine. It was just, oh, hello, we all dress in vintage pin-up clothing and we all know each other and I'm following you on Instagram. So when I started this business, in a way, I had a ready-made audience of um, those 5,000 followers on Instagram who were following me because they liked the way I dressed and because they might have previously been a customer. So I was very lucky that way. Yeah, brilliant. How do you find you get most of your customers now? I think a lot of it's word of mouth. It's still very much Instagram-based. I pay for a lot of Instagram promotions just to sort of target people. But I think of a lot of it is just... um, It's word of mouth. It's people that follow me who very graciously will repost and share in their stories, like new bags when they come out. And I try and our product photography, I think, is really, really lovely. And it's something that people do enjoy reposting because it's interesting. Yeah. So I think a lot of my customers do the work for me, to be honest. Fantastic. (laughs) I mean, really, as it should be. I think it helps that your pieces are so statement, like, they are the kind of piece that someone will be like, oh, my God, where did you get that? It's not just like a little black handbag that people are like, oh, that's cute. Like if someone sees your bag and they want to know where they're going to get it from, you're the answer to that. Yeah, I should be doing more with this. We get a lot of customers that sort of they DM me or they just they'll tell stories. They'll share an outfit photo of themselves featuring the bag and they'll say I was in McDonald's today and someone stalked me through the car park just to ask where my handbag came from. And I think if you're somebody on Instagram who enjoys sharing outfit photos and the attention that that sort of gets you, and just, you know, I'm not saying it's all about validation, but when you're a creative person, you like to share what you've created, basically. And I think if you're also like that and you see that working for someone else, you start to sort of think, oh, you know, maybe I should get one of these bags. But yeah, we get a lot of feedback about someone stalked me through a shopping centre or someone screamed out, nice bag from a bus or things like that. That is fantastic and not surprising. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, brilliant. So obviously you've got a huge amount of fans and they're very dedicated. Is there anything that you do to kind of keep them as loyal fans and customers obviously you've got quite a a good instagram following but is there anything that you do kind of to foster that sort of community i think i'm very much the face of my brand and i'm very interactive with my customers and my audience again it's all happening through instagram i make myself available people know who runs the business i talk to people you know in dms i get involved in the comments. I don't put any sort of professional distance, not too much professional distance anyway, between me and the people that want to sort of communicate with me. And I'm not all about just pushing the sales of the bags. I'm very much about here's a post of something I did on the weekend. And I think it's just keeping that human connection instead of just being a business front with the logo. This is a business that's run by a person. And we get a lot of people sort of saying, um, so we do a yearly survey just to touch base with how everybody's feeling. And a lot of the feedback we get from that is, I love that I can speak to Jazz and share stories with her and that she actually gets involved and she remembers like the name of my kids or where I live, just little things like that. Like it's me running the Instagram account. It's not multiple sort of people just interacting 
like part of my team, it's me. <laughs> so yeah. I love I, that. I think, and I think that's why people <laughs> like buying from small businesses because you kind of feel a little bit more like you're part of the community yeah. rather than just yeah. buying something. And it is definitely a community. Like I think that's a really great word for what we've built here. It's it's the Wicker Darling community. People, you know, I can see that people are getting to know each other. We've just started running a high tea, the Wicker Darling high tea, so that people can, we've had one so far and we're about to have an event in Sydney. It's the Wicker Darling high tea and just bring your bag, dress up, come and meet other Wicker Darling uh, collectors, eat cake. It's nice. <laughs> so I wish more brands did things like that, like really kind of foster the community and like embrace the weird and wonderfulness that your community is. Like, I think that's just amazing. Yeah, we sort of, the first one, like that was, I felt like that was a huge risk we were running. We really didn't know how many people to expect or if people would want to even get on board this. You know, was it, were we being egotistical, thinking people would want to come and meet us? And it was a small group on the day. I think there was maybe 18 of us. But what we found is once the photos of the event were published on Instagram, everybody just loved it. And I think it was the vibrancy of the event. Everybody turned up and everybody was super dressed up in their pinup and their vintage dresses. And it was so colourful. And the photos were just beautiful. I love them. I'm going to get them framed for my house. And when we shared that, everybody was suddenly like, bring the event to Sydney, bring it to Perth, you know. So, yeah, that's why we're having another event in Sydney. And that one sold out we doubled the numbers and the tickets sold out in two days compared to the oh, time yeah. before where they didn't actually sell out. So, yeah, those photos really helped that. Yeah, I suppose people like to see that they're not going to be the only one there and it kind of gives them an expectation of what to expect. Yes, yeah, very much so. Lovely. Is there anything you wish you'd done or known in the earlier days of your business that would have made getting to where you are now easier? Oh, gosh. <laughs> Everything about this has been such a learning experience. I'm not sure that I would do anything differently. And I would actually sort of say, I don't know, keep some surprises for yourself because if some of the things I've had to face down over the last couple of years, if I'd known about that in advance, I probably wouldn't have gone ahead with the business, to the be honest. The number of times people say that is hilarious. Like, If I had known, I probably wouldn't have started. Like, don't take that as discouragement if you're listening to this and you don't want to start. But just, like, (laughs) just start because there will be some things. (laughs) Yeah, we don't want to think about these things because it's hard and you want to avoid it. Like, in my case, at no point during the design and the pre-order process did I think it's Australia and you're bringing natural woven materials into the country. Because you know Australian quarantine is like, you know, you got mud on your boots. They breathe down your throat at the airport. Where did you get this mud from? <laughs> and so for me, I just at some point I went, oh, God, I'm about to bring like 30 woven flamingos from natural materials in the Philippines into the country. How is this? What am I going to do? And once I sort of realised, I was just, I was on the phone call with biosecurity. I was calling shipping agents. I was like, you know, how do I do the paperwork? What do I need to prepare for? Like really sexy things like fumigation. Um, <laughs> Very so, sexy. Yeah, like re- that's a really attractive thing that you want to talk about when you're running your business. Fumigation. And the fumigation certificates are just every time we get a shipment, there's a problem with the fumigation certificate. 
and it's a pain in the ass and it leads to more delays, but we've yet to have any of our bags end up in the incinerator. So that's nice. That's handy. But that was one of those things. If I'd known about it in advance, I probably would have just said, you know what, I'm going to go and work at Kmart. <laughs> but then the world would be deprived of whale and dinosaur bags and it would be a sad that's world. exactly it. Yeah. So sometimes I think just take things one step at a time, I think is where we're going with that point. Yeah. No, I like that. Before we wrap up into the the last questions that we ask everyone, is there anything you think we've missed that would be good to share with our listeners? I think we're talking about payment plans. And ah. uh, so I'm just sort of like really the pros and cons of payment plans because we are a business that offer payment plans. Which is um, lovely of you to do. Yeah, yeah. And because the bags are expensive and I acknowledge that. They're not for everybody. But some people still want to have one of these bags and by offering payment plans, you make it a lot more achievable for them to have these beautiful things, which in turn, me, you know, that means my audience, my potential customer base is much bigger. So it's really, really good. And I would say 75% of our orders are payment plans. Oh, wow. Which is fantastic. The flip side of that being it strangles cash flow for the business. Yeah. So that's just something we've learned it's yeah when people sort of ask me would you recommend the payment plans I'm just sort of okay well I'm not going to sort of recommend or not recommend but I do recommend you look at the pros and cons and plan it out because we've recently had a bit of a experience that came about with the cash flow being strangled due to the payment plans and the ateliers making the bags were ahead of schedule and we didn't have we had the cash flow but we got really tight there basically because the bags were ready to come out and we weren't expecting to have to pay for these bags for another few months and a lot of customers haven't even finished paying off these bags so that's just something I think you know if you're going to offer payment plans be aware of it and if that's going to be a problem for you maybe don't do the payment plans yeah do you do the payment plans on your own or do you use a third party we do them on our own So we looked at Afterpay and things like that. And it's interesting because we do actually offer Afterpay and even the Australian customers won't touch it, which is a really, yeah, I'm not 100% sure what that's about. I think some people have sort of mentioned, I don't know the truth of this. You you hear those rumours that Afterpay affects your credit rating if you want to sort of apply for a home loan. I don't know if that's where it's coming from. Or maybe Afterpay is not flexible enough. And it wasn't something we could offer our international customers. So we just do it ourselves. We hand code all of the invoices. We send them out. We use an accounting app, uh, Zero, and that sets up the invoices and that regularly sends them out. It's a lot of extra work. I was going to say that sounds like a lot of extra work. Do the people who take payment plans pay a little bit extra to manage that? No. No, No. we don't do anything like that. No, it's just you're paying exactly what everybody else pays. Also worth noting, free shipping. We offer free shipping worldwide, tracked and insured. (laughs) Fantastic. I did see a frequently asked questions on your Instagram stories that was like, shipping to your country is expensive. That's why it's free. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly it. I didn't start the business out that way. I was charging people $65 to post to like America, Canada, England, and our audience definitely increased once we got rid of shipping fees. Yeah, I can imagine. There's a lot of customer psychology behind that. (laughs) Yeah, they do like free shipping, that's for sure. Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Lovely. All righty. Well, we'll get into our, our last few questions we ask everyone. So do you have any strategies or habits that you follow each day to help you stay on track? I have a assistant who handles my to-do list so that I'm not tracking everything myself because if I try to stay on top of everything myself, I get really spooked and flustered. And I think when you look at the day and you're like, I've got 20 things to do today, that's quite terrifying. It is for me. So I have a assistant who, yeah, she... She's not handling my calendar. She's handling a to-do list and we set up dates and she'll say, now this is what's on your list for today. And if I know that I can handle it on that day, I tackle it and she crosses it off the list for me. And if not, she schedules it for another day and we'll agree on a date. So I find that really helpful. Fantastic. Do you have a favourite business book? No, I don't. (laughs) That's okay. I I think I follow... um, just people on Instagram that do things like this. I work with Court & Co. She is a pricing specialist. I don't know if you've heard of her. I don't, but I think we need to get her on the podcast. I think you do. She is amazing, the things she knows. So I didn't even know a pricing specialist was a thing. I didn't know a pricing specialist was a thing until now either. Yeah, well, there you go. She's Yeah, she'd be really interesting for everybody to hear from, I think. She gets really into the psychology of pricing. And so most people, I think, follow, what do you call it when you're pricing to a formula? This is the formula. This is the cost price. And then you add on your overheads and then you double it for a wholesale price or whatever that sort of stuff is. Yeah, no, she hates it. She's like, that's garbage. Don't do it. Use value pricing. And I'll let you talk to her about that. I think we need to get her on the show. We'll have a chat once we're done and we'll grab her details and get her on. That sounds fantastic. (laughs) Yeah, she revolutionized how I look at pricing for my bags. And that's, it's pricing for success when you price with value. <laughs> Bit of a slogan there, but really, really helpful stuff. Yeah, brilliant. Do you have a favorite podcast? Oh, I don't listen to a lot, I have to be honest. But yeah, if I'm listening to podcasts, it's ones like this where it's listening to other business people. So what I'm hearing <laughs> is my podcast is your favorite podcast. Moving on. <laughs> If I'm listening to podcasts, it's definitely business ones like this. Nicole DeLarzac has a really interesting one. I think that's called the Entre... No, okay, I'm not doing her a service. By I'm not remembering the name. We'll grab it and we'll um, chuck it in the show notes so everyone can find it. That's no worries. Okay. Courtney, who I just mentioned, has one as well. Oh, fantastic. I think I have to check that one out. And if people want to find you, see your amazing bags, what's the best way for people to come find you? Instagram, 100%. Instagram, wicked darling. (laughs) Very easy to find for anyone who wants to go hunting. Yeah. Lovely. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure having you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the 23rd episode of the Bright Minds of E-Commerce podcast. Don't forget, we load all of the links and show notes onto our website. You can find everything at www.brightredmarketing.com.au forward slash show notes forward slash episode 23. The link will also be in the episode description. Thanks so much for listening.